Welcome to the NASPP's Equity Expert Podcast Series. My name is Kathleen Cleary, and I'm the Education Director for the NASPP. Today, we're going to talk about the CEO pay ratio calculation and disclosure now that we're through year one and on to year two. We'll be speaking with Kevin Wells and Stephen Popowski from Aon Hewitt. And before we get started, I just want to remind everyone listening that this podcast is actually one of a series of podcasts on various interesting and educational topics primarily related to equity and careers in equity. You can access the entire podcast series at naspp.com forward slash equity expert, and that's all one word. And you can also subscribe to the podcast series, and then you'll get an email whenever we post a new podcast episode. So as I mentioned, today we'll be speaking with Kevin Wells and Stephen Popowski from Aon Hewitt. Kevin is a director and senior consultant with Aon Hewitt's Talent Rewards and Performance Practice. He's also a member of the practice's Global Technical Shared Services team, which has global responsibility for technical areas impacting executive and director compensation. As a member of Aon's corporate governance practice, Kevin helps clients understand and assess their potential exposure under the multitude of corporate governance and executive compensation policies and various guidelines established by proxy advisory firms and institutional shareholders. Stephen Popowski is Senior Associate in Aon's Equity Valuation Practice. In his current role, Stephen is the Associate Practice Leader for the CEO Pay Ratio Market Offering and has advised over 100 clients on compliance, modeling, statistical sampling, and communications relating to the CEO pay ratio. He has spoken at regional events as well as national conferences on the CEO pay ratio. Welcome to the podcast, Kevin and Stephen. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us, Kathleen. So as I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to talk about the CEO pay ratio. We've completed our first year of disclosures, and maybe we've learned some things, maybe we haven't, maybe we'll change some things as we enter year two of the pay ratio disclosure. So let's start with Kevin. What do you see as the biggest challenges as companies look to the year two pay ratio? To start, year one and year two of pay ratio are very different. Uh, in year one, uh, which was really completed for most companies, you're, you're picking a CACM, a consistently applied compensation measure, um, and really making a lot of decisions that you're going to follow in, in future years. In year two, uh, you know, the, the challenge is whether you can reuse your median. So th- what the SEC gave us was you can use your median for up to three years, provided that there's no significant change in the employee population and no significant change in the compensation scheme. Going to the first one, no significant change in the population, it's pretty straightforward. If there's been an acquisition or a major force reduction, um, you have to re-identify your median employee. If there's not been uh, a change in either, then you can reuse that same median in the second year and in the third year. The challenge, though, is whether you've had a significant change in your employee population or compensation scheme. There's no objective standard here, so we're just going on our, our best uh, conclusions about whether the median has stayed the same. So what we looked at is, has the employee population changed? As a rule of thumb, and I, and I stress that, a rule of thumb, we look at it for changes around like 10%, as the population change around 10%. If it has not, and there's been no significant change to the compensation scheme, meaning, for instance, if you introduce equity during the year, um, that might significantly change in how you know employees' compensation. 
there's been neither. You reuse the median and uh, and the complement uh, disclosure is pretty straightforward. So, Kevin, do you have any predictions as to which companies will elect to re-identify their median employee? There, there's a few considerations. One is if there has been a significant change in the employee population, you have to re-identify. We work a lot with pharmaceuticals and, and technology companies, which are rapidly changing. And most, I would say, 90% of those clients uh, will be re-identifying each year. There is also the you know, a consideration that uh, you may want to re-identify your employee. So you, you're permitted but not required to use your median employee for three years. And some companies are choosing to just re-identify each year. And the reason is, going back to you know the, the lack of objective standards, if you're not sure if your employee population has stayed relatively you know, uh, the same as the, the prior year, you can just go ahead and re-identify. The process is very similar to, to year one. The advantage here is that we've already decided what CACM to use. Again, that's the, you know, the estimate of compensation. So it, it's a pretty straightforward process. It's not a lot of extra work. Really, it removes any, any questions about whether uh, you need to re-identify. Stephen, let's uh, turn to you. So I've heard something about de minimis exemptions as part of this process in identifying or re-identifying the median employee. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, thank you, Kathleen. So to make sure that your listeners are aware of what we're talking about when we use the shorthand of de minimis, uh, so de minimis is one of three employee carve-outs that were allowed under the final rule and was easily the most prevalent that we saw with firms in year one. Just to be clear as to what exactly it is, uh, it allows a firm to remove ex-U.S. employees to foreign employees, provided that they're being removed on a whole country basis, and the total sum of those removed uh, is less than 5% of the overall employee population headcount. And we saw in year one firms opting to use the de minimis for two basic reasons. First, firms were likely to reduce administrative burden sometimes in, in, in using this. You can imagine a situation where a firm had a number of onesie or twosie countries. So say, you know, one employee in Aruba, two in Burma, and maybe a non-centralized HRIS system. Uh, in, in this case, a firm would have been able to reduce compliance costs by not having to collect all of the compensation data or even some of the compensation data for those sorts of individuals. And second, uh, firms could try to manicure their employee population in a way to minimize their ratio. Um, but what we, what we found was because of the, the general shape of compensation data, it's, it's log normal, tends to be log normal. And by that, I mean... Uh, Employees near the median compensated employee tend to be fairly clustered uh, together. Use of de minimis to remove up to 5% of your overall employee population doesn't actually make a whole lot of difference in your in the employee that you identify and ultimately likely in your final ratio as well. Now, as this pertains to this overall question of uh, de minimis as a consideration in year two, so you can imagine a situation in uh, in year one where a firm had had elected to employ de minimis exemptions and that they had stayed under this 
this overall 5% limit. But, but imagine that the numbers had changed a bit and they were left with this question as to what they wanted to do. The, the headcount numbers um, had changed. Well, so a conservative approach might, have been, might be to just say, well, listen, let's go through the re-identification process again. We know maybe that we're above 5%, something like that. Let's just go through this re-identification process. Um, uh, another uh, approach that a firm could take would, would simply be to say, well, look, we know that however we cut de minimis, it's really not going to change the, the median employee compensation significantly. We know this from year one when we, we looked at different permutations in selecting different countries to remove and whatnot. And we, we ultimately came out very close to, to what the median and compensation would have been without employing the de minimis ex exemptions. So in that case, it, it obviously makes sense for a firm to review their individual facts and circumstances before proceeding on with this question of how to deal with the de minimis in year two. Thank you. Hopefully that's helpful for our listeners in clarifying the de minimis exemptions. So far in this podcast, we've been talking about companies that have already gone through the year one process, so they've already disclosed a pay ratio. What about smaller reporting companies and emerging growth companies? Anything new to report there? Sure. So I think that firms that were emerging growth companies previously, um, they, they've had the distinct advantage of, of seeing year one play out. They know what the trends are. They know what the prevalent number, uh, prevalence numbers are. They know what their industry has been doing. So I think that they are in an advantage. In terms of things that are new to report, not really. We know that there's a transition rule. They have had a year, depending on when they lost their EGC status, to comply. And we expect most firms to have taken advantage of that. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you guys to get out your crystal balls and give us an idea how you see pay ratio evolving in the future. Sure. So I think this is a good question. And of course, we are not predictors of the future. But, but I think the simple answer here is that as we go through year two, the, the attention that's paid to the, uh, to the rule will focus less on prevalence and more on trends. And what I mean by that is, I think the focus in year one, especially in interested uh, parties or in media, was what was the ratio? And that they missed the key disclosure here was really the, the median employee compensation. This was, the, this was the new disclosure item. And I think there's a lot of interesting research that's occurring right now related to that. And I think we're gonna see some very interesting articles on that coming out in the months ahead. But back to the specific question, I, I think the focus in year two across comp committees, boards, media, et cetera, will be, so what has changed since year one? And that lends itself very much to a trend analysis instead of a prevalence analysis. And I can very easily see media asking the question, okay, so CEO comp is up 10%. How does the median employee comp compare? Because now we'll have this uh, ability to track you know, a single employee or a median employee in an organization year over year. I'll, I'll also add that I think there may be some peril in, in looking at this comparison as well, because so much is dependent on certain aspects of the median employee, for instance, if overtime or double time represented a large percentage of this employee's compensation, you know, uh, for things outside of this employee's control, did they receive less OT or double, double time 
in, in year two. Similarly, did their performance, you know, did they really knock it out of the park that year and saw, you know, a max bonus instead of just simply, a, you know, a round target bonus? So it, it, it may be that employee-specific uh, items, rather firm-specific trends, are driving the change in the median employee compensation relative to CEO comp, which may be more tied to the performance of the overall organization uh, or stock price. That's a good point. I'd just like to add that focusing on that median employee, uh, there's a question, are we focusing on that one individual or are we focusing on the 50th percentile? Because the rule allows you to use that one individual for three years, I think there's going to be a lot of focus on that one person. So let's just say that, um, you know, that one person gets married and they drop their health insurance. All of a sudden, uh, you know, their, their compensation is going to go down. That's not to say that the, the median, the 50th percentile, which I mean, I'm distinguishing from the median, has decreased. It just means that that individual had a life change. So in that sense, I prefer re-identifying the median employee every year, again, to focus on the 50th percentile, not that one individual. Thank you for that uh, additional comment, Kevin. I appreciate it. And Stephen, in your comments, you briefly alluded to the media. So uh, either Kevin or Stephen, what's your take on the lack of media attention given this first year of uh, CEO pay ratio disclosures? This has been building up for a long time. To go to my background, I, uh, I was a lobbyist years ago, too long ago, actually. But one of my roles was to work on this rule, and I was trying for a legislative fix back in 2011 to 13, before the rule was even written. It's been going on for a long time. We expected to see a lot more immediate attention. And the fact is that, you know, the big outliers, you know, have gotten some focus. Wall Street Journal had a few articles, but most of the media attention has been local, usually comparing, say, um, Philadelphia area pay ratios. But it, it's just not been what we expected. The mainstream shareholders, you know, the, the Black Rocks, Fidelity's Vanguards, they're not really focusing on this. ISS and Glass Lewis, they're including pay ratios in their reports, but again, not focusing very intently on it and certainly not outcome determinative in their voting recommendations. So we expect to see some attention, but I don't think it's been quite the onslaught that we expected. All right. So, Kevin and Stephen, as we start to think about wrapping up this podcast, let's turn to the disclosure. What do you expect to see in terms of supplemental disclosure prevalence this year? Our general recommendation is to limit your disclosure, to, to hit that, you know, the, the important points, which for compliance purposes is the CEO's compensation, which is already disclosed anyway, the median employee's compensation, the ratio of the two, and the manner that you use to, uh, to, to identify the median, which means your, your, your CASM, which we've talked about a little bit in the past. We don't go very far beyond that, usually. Now, there are cases. For instance, if you have a new CEO and there was a significant grant, sometimes we'll disclose, uh, or I should say we help our clients disclose alternative ratios. But for the most part, we like to keep it pretty simple and straightforward. Okay, so all that said... If there are concerns about, you know, communicating with employees, because for the first time, the median employees disclosed and half of your employees will find out that they're below the median and half will find out that they're above. The proxy statement, though, is for shareholders. So if there are questions about employee compensation coming from employees or, or other parties, our recommendation is generally to communicate those outside of the proxy statement. 
Great information. Well, I hope everyone listening today got some good information on CEO pay ratio and disclosure and what we might think about going into year two. I'd like to thank Kevin and Stephen for sharing their knowledge and their expertise with all of us today. I really appreciate your time. And thank you to everyone who listened in today as well. Remember, you can access all the podcasts in the Equity Expert series at nespp.com forward slash equity expert. Thank you, everyone.